believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to the first season of Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. I am so excited to be here. This podcast has been a vision in a Google Doc for about a year. And here we are. You can, in fact, manifest your dreams. So for those of you that don't know me, I am a founder, I am a speaker, a DJ, a true multi-hyphenate. But the constant in my career has been inner work and tools that have allowed me to dig in in very hard times and push forward on my purpose. This podcast was born out of these amazing sage women in my life who shared these insane nuggets of wisdom at really dark times when I was building my company. I thought it was really selfish to keep those to myself. So you will meet them and many other incredible business leaders and spiritual teachers who have a lot of wisdom to drop. Also, everyone on this podcast is someone I really, really, really like and really admire. It's quite absurd the joy they bring me. So I'm really excited to share my passion for them with you. I wanna make it very clear that do the work has become very trendy as of late, but this phrase has been an integral phrase in how I have moved through space for the past 10 years. If you know me, you know I often say, they need to do the work, they need to go to therapy. I love therapy. This is 100% my vibe and the work is very hard, but it is fun and on the other side has been greater joy and comfort than I could have ever envisioned. So know that these conversations are gonna be that. They're going to be hard. They're going to be fun, uncomfortable, and I hope a little funny. The work is messy, but it's also freeing, and I'm so excited to go on this adventure with all of you. This really is a dream come true for me. So buckle up with an open heart and mind. It's gonna get real. Today, I am sitting with the matriarch of the Million family, Carmen. Carmen and I met at a baby shower of a mutual friend of her daughter and myself. We were both sort of perplexed as to why we were there, but by the end of the shower, we were the last to leave, lit up in conversation. It felt like a faded meat. Carmen is incredible. There's no other word to describe it. She's built a family empire as a single mother and continues to think big and differently, but is so beautifully humble despite her success. I'm in awe of what she's been able to create, and I'm so excited to share some of that wisdom with all of you. You're so sweet. Thank you. That energy gave me goosebumps. Thank you. I wish my daughters went out round every day saying that about me. <laughs> they do have a joke that I wear a crown every day. They're like, mom and her crown. I'm like, exactly the queen that I am. <laughs> you, are, you are the queen. I worked hard for that. You worked very hard for that. And uh, I think it's really, I just really want to acknowledge that because it's one thing to be the mother of multiple children. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge job in and of itself but then also to develop your three children into their own successes and brands. And then yourself, like you also do a ton on your own. And so to hold mm -hmm. that all together and be a manager and a mother, I think those are, it's it's not easy to hold. Mm -hmm. um, and you're not just doing it for one person, you're doing it for four people. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. You know, sometimes I don't see it and it, I, need, I need someone like you to remind me of it because otherwise it's just, I just walk, go through with emotions every day and forget how much, you know, and, and what I'm doing, you know? I think that's exactly right. I think sometimes I've been feeling this way about my company where it was like when I was going, when I was building, I was just building, right? So I didn't see outside of it. And now that I look back, I'm like, how the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's I hear, I understand. I mean, it's so funny because I, I pass on knowledge all the time to people. I just in conversation and sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'm a vessel. God asked me to do this and, and to speak to others. And not only that, it's like blessings are meant to be shared, not to be kept. So every day I wake up with gratitude and I try to, you know, manifest everything, you know, positive and share my knowledge and my experience with other people. Because I think what happens is sometimes you're you're not too sure if what you're doing is the right thing or whatever. And then you just hear that voice, that one person that you meet or someone and be like, aha, yeah, that person just reconfirmed it. Yeah. So, you know, just hearing it is, is nice. But thank you. I appreciate you inviting me here oh and congratulations goodness. for, for this. This is so you. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so I want you to talk about when, when you started building, you know, Christina's music career, mm -hmm. how did you know that was something, A, that you wanted to do? 
which I'm sure as a mother is a complicated decision to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then tell us that story of like how that all began. Well, in the first place, um, Christina was like maybe two years old and she was in the bathtub just singing. And it was like I heard her voice or her pitch and I was like, oh, this little child can sing. And it was almost like a flash that I just had that it was like, this is going to be her career. And I mentioned it to my ex-husband at the time. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell that a two-year-old is like, I don't know. This might be her calling. And this child, by the time she was like three years old or four, she was telling me, I'm going to be inside that TV. I want to. So she kind of recognized it already in her. So she was you know, speaking it, manifesting it. And I turned around and I just had to listen. And I went into this blindly when she was seven years old, following the typical, my child's going to be in the pageants. I recognize I'm not a pageant mom. (laughs) Then after that, uh, we were living in Maryland. I used to drive five hours to New York for my daughter to go out for auditions. And back then there was no cell phones and it was a beeper so your agent would beep you you'd have to go to a public phone call him back and find out what the deal was and so you constantly had to be on your phone calling to finding out I mean on the public phone and sometimes we would go to an audition after a five hour drive and on my way back two hours on the way back they called me to say she had a call back for the next day I'd have to drive back home one time she booked an actual job I had just gotten home and I got home just long enough to get a change of clothing and drive back five hours for her to be there by eight o'clock in the morning. So in the middle of the night, I drove back and I used to look at Christina all the time and be like, you owe me big time. (laughs) And I used to say to her all the time, and one day, by the way, I'm not doing any of this driving. You're going to (laughs) drive. And everybody knows, by the way, I don't like to drive. (laughs) But I used to do these long trips of going to New York because I believed in her. And by the way, back in the day, you you had to have a, a, you know, talent. um, I'm I'm sorry, uh, a work permit. And so you had to keep above a C average, which, by the way, I think is still the same. Um, but the teachers did not permit you to be out of school that long. So I used to have to tutor my kids in the car. They'd read it. I'd be teaching them and in the car while I'm on the highway, you know, going over math, num- spelling, everything in the car, getting to the additions, getting the job, doing the homework. So my kids only missed school because of work, but they didn't miss like technically any class. They passed all their grades. They had to keep everything up above a C average. And uh, so we did the auditioning and she did theatrical. She did theater. She did everything in New York. And then we drove across the country during the holidays and came out to L.A. to try the acting. And we met a music producer, Rodney Jerkins, very successful. And we met, we stayed at the Oakwood Apartments, which is where everybody stays <laughs> at the time. And uh, we went ahead and we, uh, somebody, producers kept telling me, this child is a singer, you should put her into the industry. And it was just our acting uh, lawyer went ahead and introduced me to somebody. And Christina went to New York and she met up with three record labels. All of them offered deals. But at the time, Island Def Jam was the one who was the most aggressive, said we want to make her the next big pop star. So we got a deal. Through them, by the way, I didn't know anything about the music industry. So I went out and got books. Uh, how to um, um, how to make it in the music industry, how to learn it, all books. I just And I learned everything about publishing. And I was like, it's not even about being an artist. It's about being a publishing. And, that's, and, and you get a lot more respect internationally if you're an artist slash uh, writer, it's more than just a singer because then you're just singing the lyrics. But if you're writing your music, they feel like you're connecting with your music. So Christina started writing at a very early age and literally has uh, uh, written on, you know, good like five or six huge songs. And then she's done also, which has been J-Lo, Justin Bieber and a whole bunch of other artists. And, um, and then, uh, so like I said, we got a record deal. And I know I told you a story. And uh, the story was that Christina got the record deal. They gave us upfront money, which they give artists, which, by the way, you live off that money for until a long time. And before you <laughs> finally go on tour and make money, people don't know that. And they blow that money right away. And then they're broke. No, it's like basically a, a no interest free loan. Yes. So you get this thing, but you have to earn it's it back. It's recoupable. Everything yeah. is recoupable. Yeah, you have to earn it back. I learned recoupment immediately. <laughs> so anytime people were being generous, would you like to stay at this hotel? Nope. I'll say that this motel <laughs> will do this because I knew it was all recoupable. Which is very, I just want to point out, 
about how how lucky Christina was to have you because it is notorious in the music business mm-hmm. that people are taken advantage of with this mm-hmm. system. Yes. And I have so many friends who signed publishing deals or things where all of a sudden they didn't understand what they were signing. Mm-hmm. And then it's like years and years to like recoup that money and then you're out of money mm-hmm. and then it turns into this like intense, it's almost like indentured servitude in some ways. Um, So that's such a blessing that you had read everything that you knew how to negotiate because that's the biggest way I think people get screwed over immediately Mm -hmm. in the music business. I learned quickly how to have a lawyer, but read the documents the lawyer was reading. And I would take that 90 page contract, read it over, you know, a couple of days, highlight (laughs) whatever questions I would ask the question. I was thinking, you know, a stupid question is a question never asked. So to me, it's like, I'm going to ask, you're the pro, you're the lawyer, so you should know. Give me these answers because I want to be able to question even the record label. And, it's, you know, and, and, and when they hand you the paperwork, a lot of people don't know what they're signing because they're trusting, you know, the lawyer who might be like, oh, I've done a couple of these, but maybe there's an exception for you on certain terms in there. Like me, Christina was already 18, but I wrote myself in there that, um, that wherever she went, I went. Mm-hmm. So there was an extra ticket for me and that there was a possibility I'd have to bring my other two daughters. So from the very beginning, they knew we were a family unit, that it wasn't just Christina. And I asked all the right questions and, you know, I, we made mistakes like everybody else. And at the very beginning, it wasn't what it, it is now that, uh, you know, you come in and, and they revamp you, whatever. I was doing my daughter's hair myself. <laughs> they weren't flat ironed, so I used to iron it with an actual iron. Oh <laughs> I used to do her makeup. They gave us a makeup kit from like Mac or something. I used to do her makeup. I was her wardrobe stylist. I did all of that. Um, actually, Beyonce's mom did the same thing. You just have to do what you can at first. Now you walk in and from day one, you have a stylist, you have this, you have that. You have a publicist, all this stuff. They, a lot of that was new. And especially because the record label we were at was mostly hip hop. And Christina was was their first like pop artist so Christina came in and they had to like oh wait she needs makeup oh she needs hair she needs like okay sure you know and like even the videos I was part of the whole music video part of the creative part you know part of that team which is knowledge that you live and learn but since then everything that I've learned I've passed on to a lot of people and when I hear artists that, oh, um, you know the they you know they failed whatever because they said that they're the paperwork whatever it's not everybody has a parent. Yep. Not everybody has a friend that's smart and tells them, you know, they have an entourage, but the entourage is always not knowledgeable and they don't care. They just can sometimes they're just on there for the free ride and they don't understand. You have to educate yourself. You really do pick up books, ask questions, call another artist and say, hey, I know you don't know me, but when you went through this, how did that happen? It's like take advice from other people and listen and maybe it, it, it applies to you, but maybe it doesn't. But at the end of the day, everybody goes through these things and it's a live and learn you know, uh, experience and, 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 and you have to, because if not, um, you know, again, you can uh, fail, but you know, again, you could fail and then re-succeed again, by the way, many people, my daughters had three record deals so totally. <laughs> and things happen, but not everyone has your back. And I think that we, yes. we oftentimes think when people are offering us an opportunity, there's one version of it where it's like, oh, okay, like they're looking out for me. And the reality mm-hmm. is they're probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then beyond that, you also feel so grateful to have the opportunity that a lot of times people don't actually advocate for themselves because they feel lucky. Mm-hmm. And we have to sort of change that because if someone wants to make a deal with you, it's because there's an equal exchange and Thank there's a you. value Both sides. they see in you. Yes, and, and give I, or take. And people forget that because they're afraid to lend a scarcity that they're going to like lose something. Mm-hmm. But it's the reality is no, I, they're, they're offering you this because you have a value and a worth that they can see. And so you can't forget that. And I think that when, especially when you're young, right? I think what a gift to have someone like you advocating in that capacity because you just don't know how to mm-hmm. when you're young. Exactly. But also, aren't you, weren't you just like exhausted? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was. I was a single mom at the time, like with the music um, and the acting. I used to drive my kids to auditions every single day and going everywhere and being a support team for them. You know, it's not only I had to find a balance between children or, you know, young people who are doing business in a social life. Sometimes their friends or their homies were having, you know, parties or whatever, and they couldn't because the next day they had to go to work. So it's finding that balance for everyone that is, you know, making the agents, the lawyers and everybody happy and making your your talent happy, making sure at all times, you sure you want to do this. I questioned it all the time before. I still do to this very day. Are you interested in doing the project? And are you going to be happy with this? Because I try not to live with any regrets because we all do because I want sometimes we're like, oh God, what did I get myself into? But other times it's like, think about it. 
are you gaining something from the? I know the other person is, but are you? And will you be, you know, the next day feel like, you know, no regret, like, you know, I, it, this is a bad decision or what was I putting out there? Is this good positive energy? Am I, what example am I setting with this? And I want to make sure that every time you do something, think about that. That's why I don't make, very rare do I make an instant uh, decision. It's usually, let me have an overnight on it because by overnight I could, sometimes I, I ask my daughters for advice. It's like, it could be a, a deal for Christina, but I'll ask Liz, <laughs> my other daughter who's a chef and she's involved in everything. She also knows Christina. She'd be like, mom, Tina won't go for this, you know, or think about it because that means you're going to do a lot of the legwork. Christina will say yes, but you're going to and be like, ooh, you're right. <laughs> so sometimes I need the advice of even my daughter about my other daughter. So that that I'm open to. You you have to be able to give and take. Yes, you do. You know, not, not you everyone's have good to take advice. Taking. No. A lot of people are good at giving. They can't, they no. can't take it back. I always remind my kids, it's like, that's why God gave us one mouth, but two ears. <laughs> you know, you're supposed oh, to be listening. You're, that's twice the advice that you should be, you, you know, because easy, it's easy for me to give, you know, to that's, give out. But it's what are you taking in as much as what you're saying? One mouth. Two ears. Two ears. That is really good. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that. Oh, I really? Never. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. That's new for me. I'm going to use it. I'm going to credit go. you. But that's really good. I think that's really important because we often stop listening. Mm -hmm. We're just, like, in conversation saying what we want to say. Mm -hmm. And it's so important just to listen mm -hmm. because not only that's when you understand things more, but I think people can really reflect back to you. Mm -hmm. But people feel seen and heard. Yes. And that is like the biggest gift we yes. give to anybody is just making them feel seen and heard. Yep. And, you know, it's so funny because sometimes someone is speaking and you're listening and you're like, oh, they're so wrong. Oh, my God. they're mad. But what I do is after they finish telling me, I repeat it back to them. I'm like, so what you're saying is. Oh, is that what you really want? And sometimes just my tone of repeating it, suddenly they're like, well, what I really meant, you know, because <laughs> it happened to me yesterday. Somebody said something, they were complaining to it. And then by the time they spoke to me and I said, oh, I get you, I understand what your feeling is. And so what you're asking me, they turn around and by the time we finish, they're like, you know, I really feel bad that I asked you this. And I was like, it's okay. And somebody said, ooh, you're good. <laughs> we're just working it out in real time. Exactly. I'm letting you work it out. I'm just going to present, exactly. I'm just going to present it to you. I'm not going to tell it to do. Exactly. By the time I repeated it to them, but with a smile and like, okay, I, I can work with you. We can work. We can make this. We could fix this. I want to, it's a balance. Both of us can, can get something out of it. That person felt bad and they were apologizing. And I was like, that's all it is. Sometimes it's like therapy. <laughs> I, had, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who's, he's in finance and he's got a very stressful job. And he was like, you know, I just spend all these days yelling at lawyers. And mm -hmm. I used to run a nightclub in my early twenties. So I say like, listen, I've seen the worst of the worst mm -hmm. and I never yelled at anybody. Because there's a way to have a conversation or the art of negotiation, which is like, we both have the, a mutual interest that we can meet in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. We can find that common thread, but you have to be willing to find that common thread. And so much of it is just listening. Mm -hmm. What are you actually asking me? What do you actually want? Right. And I think people get very reactive in these negotiations when really like there's this beautiful way to handle difficult conversation. Exactly what you're saying, which is just like, let me just repeat this back to you and make sure that... Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you correctly. Absolutely. And even rejection, many times people send me a deal to them. They think my daughters say, oh, any one of my three daughters, it's the perfect one for what they have. But then they don't understand what's going on that, or maybe another pre-existing deal or something. And what I do is I go back to them and I say to them, I appreciate you making this offer right away. It's like, thank you for your interest and, and your consideration of my talent, you know. And then on top of that, then I turn around and I said, let me explain to you why we can't do it. And then I turn around and I, I said, but I wish you much success because what you're coming with right now is amazing. It's going to be great for another person. And come around another year from that, you never know. We might be open to it or we might be in a different place by that time. By the time I send them that email, they usually write back like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And they're like, do you have other talent? Isn't that do you manage other people? <laughs> because I, it's, I think people always want um, there's no reason to come back angry. Like, who do you think we are? I've had other managers who people have said to me, oh my God, that person, I can't stand them, you know, because they, um, they just, you know, they get offended quickly. Like, you know, like, oh, you think my talent is this or that? No, you just have to explain to them. 
at the moment, it sounds like great for you, but it doesn't work for us. So, but again, with age comes wisdom. And, you know, back in the day, I was hot headed. <laughs> I probably did many of those like, what? <laughs> and now I now I've learned my daughters also had explained to me, mom, you speak with your face as well. And you show expressions. Oh, you start that. rolling your, your eye roller. And fa- I was like, really? They were like, mom, even my daughter, Christina, tells me every once in a while she will be in a Zoom meeting. She's like, be careful. You're making a frown that makes it look like that. I was like, what? I am. And I'm like, did I have to get back to smiling because she's telling me, be careful because something they said might have been in my head. And I'm thinking, what the heck are they just thinking? And I have to make poker face. I do have to do the same thing. I wear my emotion. I'm a very transparent person. So I have to like, but I always am doing that where I'm like, all right, they can tell in a Zoom meeting. Yes. On a phone, I can roll my eyes all I want. Right, right. Yeah. No, when we, her and I are in a meeting, we hit each other under the table to remind each other, like, don't go that far. You're de- and then yeah, at the moment, you're like, wait, what did I just say that maybe she just told me, re- you know, rewind or something. But when you're in a Zoom meeting, <laughs> she's just literally texting me, uh, smiled, uh, you're distracted, you look distracted, you look bored. <laughs> so we say that to each other Good. just to help each other out because now we're down to Zoom meetings and and you're just reading what you're seeing. You can't feel people. No. It's a whole other Oh my goodness. Game. I could break a room by walking in. I, I'm a, we're huggers and kissers because we're, you know, Latinos and I've had people who've been like, oh, I, I, you know, like I'm not. And I'm like, it's OK. I am. So satisfy me right now. So by the time we do that and, you know, you compliment someone's clothing, looks or some maybe an experience I just did that morning, the night before, it breaks the ice. And by the time I've had people who have told me, wait, you spoke to that person about their wife and children. I'm like, I've, I didn't even know he was married. How did you get to that? I'm like, I don't know. He saw my purse and asked me, said my wife has that. And I'm like, and then we start talking. And I get into, I share, I share easily about my family because that's who we are and that's, we're very inviting. You could come to my house and, you know, hang out with the grandkids and all that stuff. Everybody, you look at us and, you know, we're a family unit. So I, I assume everybody, most people are. And by the time I finish, you know, hanging out with people, I've had people go, I'm going to pick up the phone and call my mom today. <laughs> because you made me feel like, you know what? I look at my mom a certain way, but you are very similar. And I, why do I, you know, not pay her the attention that person needs? I'm like, there you go. You know, meeting me today paid off <laughs> for <Yeah>. your mom. <laughs> paid off for your mom. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I want to go back, though. I want to go back yes. to Christina getting signed. Yes. And you were in a difficult position when she got signed. Can yes. you share that story with us? Because I, yes. I think it's a really beautiful My one. My ex-husband presented, uh, asked me for a divorce. And overnight, by the time that the whole custody thing and all that starts, uh, started happening, we were in the middle of Christina getting a record deal. So we were going through some financial hardship. And I was sleeping on the floor in an apartment that was empty, no furniture. But my kids, I made sure I made money to, right away that I put money beds for them. Uh, but I slept on the floor for like two years because I say slept on the floor because I had one of those inflatable $19 uh, beds that you would blow up every day with a blow dryer. But it would leak in the middle of the night. I'd wake up on the floor every morning. I'd be like... Am I on the floor again? (laughs) So I did that for like two years. And during that time that we were, because when you, a a record um, label offers you a deal, sometimes they make you go in and do a couple of demos to see how you act in the studio, how you record, how you sound before they give you an official deal. But they went for the deal immediately. And so I'll never forget that our, my lawyer beeped me and she said, Hey, um, I've been you know, trying to beat me for like two days. What's going on? I was like, oh, it was turned off. <laughs> like, because I didn't have the money to pay for it, but it's back on. And she goes, the check came through, come to my office and pick it up. So we had a car that every other day was breaking down. So we're driving to her office and on the way to the office, the car kept breaking down, the radiator or whatever kept going off and the water would go right through. The, the steam would come out in the front, you know, the stuff that you used to see a lot, people on the side of the roads. And... We got there by pushing the car and we were driving over to her, to her office and it took us probably like an hour and a half. That should have been a 50 minute drive because like every couple of blocks it would stop. Somebody would push us a little <laughs> and then we'd get driving and then it would stop again. We picked up the check from her and here we were with a six figure check in our hand. We said thank you. We signed off on it and we're going home. And it's happening again. And at the time, our, we had a station wagon. And Christina had just learned to drive. And she's in the steering wheel driving. And the window is down. And I'm pushing the car. And the two of us were laughing. And it was laughter for us to think we were the richest poor people we know. <laughs> 
And we had a check in our hands, but yet we couldn't even get home. And it took us like two hours to get home. And we literally got to the house and we were crying because we couldn't believe that, you know, we had gotten this deal and it was all like I learned everything. And we were like, we were almost looking at each other like, we fooled them somehow. It's like, what? Because we didn't understand that we deserved it somehow because uh, we had had such like bad luck for a while that you could, you know, and it wasn't bad luck. It was part of our journey. It was an experience. It was like we earned that check. But at the moment we were like, whoa, <laughs> it's like there goes our dollar. You know, and it's so funny. We took the check. We went to the bank, deposited it, and then um, we find out that the bank put a hold on it or whatever. And we were still having, you know, going to the dollar store, buying food. And we had the money sitting there. We, we were almost scared to cash it. Like, because we had, it was like not believable. It was tangible, but yet not believable. And it was like, okay, are we allowed to spend it? Should we spend it? It's like, it, there was gratitude for it, but fear. Yeah. Fear of spending it because we were not used to suddenly getting this blessing. And it, it was so difficult for us. It took us like a year and a half. Our accountant had to tell us, you guys are going to get taxed on it. You got to actually go get a house. And you should. we were living still in that little apartment with that money sitting in the bank, not knowing when are we supposed to use it and how can we grow it and all that stuff. And then uh, the record label made us, you know, when you had a, um, before you go on tour and stuff, they start handing you money, but you can't take the money. So you had to get a, an accountant. And the accountants were the ones who were like, they were the ones who were like, you have to spend, you know, or else it's time. Gonna, so it's time to do that. And it was so that fe- everything was, we kept everything really cheap and like everything still low budget because we were not going to blow because it was a family and we weren't used to it. And, uh, you know, buying new was hard. We were still going to thrift, store, uh, thrift stores to buy like the pieces of furniture. When we first started, instead of going to a furniture store, we still went to the thrift shop, painted and crackled and did all the... Tra- it was an adorable apartment, but it was all still from the thrift store. We were still buying clothes from the thrift store because we could not accept that we were now getting... Uh, we were allowed now to succeed. It's a mentality shift. The mentality shift. So we're used to things being so hard for yes. so long. The idea that things get easier, it feels uncomfortable because you're so used to being like, well, because it's really hard, you know, when you start making money, you're like... Well, shouldn't it be harder? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be harder? And how long will this last? That's yes. the question mark at all times. But you really have to shift that perception because it's the, the reality is that that's why you're working so hard is for mm-hmm. it to get simpler, or easier, exactly. or all those things. Um, but I love that story because it's just so visceral. And also, I think the reason that you are full of gratitude in the way that you are, like you, for you, it wasn't something that like you inherited or Never. you worked so hard for it. And I think that's really like what I, I feel from you always is a sense of like gratitude. You don't take anything for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's key to continual success mm-hmm. because the moment we take it for granted is the moment things Oh, you go get humbled high. really quick. I've had <laughs> many, many people have been humbled because they lived that life, you could say, and they went, they went a little too far out and then they don't realize things can happen. You always have to have that little safety net. And that's one thing. And I, I wake up every day with gratitude. I, I tell people, I open my eyes and I think my grandchildren, especially my little three-year-old grandson right now, Alyssa's son, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. He says it all the time. He's like, family, family hug. And then he's like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. He's all, he's learning about God and about spirituality. He's also learning about death. <laughs> he's learning, asking questions because he's three. But I feel like we're influencing him properly by teaching him about love and God is love and, and, you know, and sharing love. We're all brothers and sisters in the whole world. You know, we may look a little different, but we may have families, but we're all families inside of families and we're all a unit. We're all in one bubble and we're all going to illness and death has, you know, it it does not pick and choose. It's just, it happens (laughs) and it happens to all of us, you know, so I'm trying to instill that in my grandchildren and my, I always have in my children and and also sharing it with other people. You know, um, these are the times that even, like I said, my neighbors, I'm probably probably friendlier to my neighbors and everything. I've always been friendly to everybody, but now people are reacting back. Uh, and and I feel that, you know, I've always been the, I say hello to people in the cars. I sort of say hi to, you know, besides 
you know, handing money over to a homeless person or whatever, I just say, you don't know where they came from and how they ended up there, you know? And uh, there could be a genius sitting right there that just went through some hardship, you know, and maybe they'll get back on their feet and maybe they won't, but it's the thing of, I try to participate and help out at the moment. I don't care. When I give, I give with intentions. I'm not getting back. No, it's never alone. <laughs> it's a give. And I said, and then on top of that, I, I, I empathize with people, sympathize. It's all of it. You have to because it's just in human nature. But I do wake up every day with gratitude and, and, and just I try to manifest and just give out what it is not for myself, for other people. And, you know, I said, if you do that in the humbleness, oh, my God, you have to. You have to because if not, I don't feel I have greatness in me. And I believe we all have greatness in me, but I, I feel no one is greater than other people. Uh, if you keep that, it's almost like a balance. I'm a Libra, so you have to keep that balance. It's true. And I figure that if I do, that's how I roll and that's how it's going to happen. And and uh, it's so far it's paid off. You could say that's my success in life. And it's, so, it's funny. It's not the management. It's not this. not my success in life is like I just feel like. Am I, uh, you know, like a good servant, you know, to do I help out? Am I doing enough that I wake up every day trying to do? I think that we don't often know the impact that we make, right? Like it's so rare we get to see the loop closed. Mm -hmm. I had this really amazing experience where I was like going downtown to a friend's like movies pr premiere. I go to park somewhere and the parking attendant and I just start talking mm -hmm. and he's like, you know, I just I've been homeless on the street. I'm working mm -hmm. here to, you know, get veteran housing. I'm a veteran. And he mm -hmm. starts telling me the whole story. He adopted this little cat, this adorable cat. And I'm just feeling very compelled by him. And I don't even really understand the full story. But he's telling me he's telling me the amount of money he needs to get this homeless housing, the veteran housing. Mm -hmm. And I just happen to have cash that day. So I give him like $20 and I go to the premiere. And then afterwards, he comes running up to me and he says, Denise, Denise. And I was like, what, Anthony? Mm -hmm. And he was like, he was $13 short to get into his veteran housing. Oh. So he went from the $20 I gave him, got into veteran housing. His cat's in there. He's telling me the whole story. And he's like, you know, I'm really, I really want to run for city council one day. And I said, Anthony, I believe it. Like you've been homeless. You actually you. understand the problem. You're the person that's going to fix it. Your experience. You've, you've exactly. It. You yes. understand the nuances that people in policy don't often see. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I was like, what a blessing for me mm. to understand the impact. Because the point is, it's not, it's $20 got this man off the street and into a house. And right. then of course, you know what he did? He went and gave his blankets to other homeless people mm. because he's just a beautiful human being. But you sit there and you're like, we don't know what impact we make. So if it's a dollar, $10, 20, 5,000, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you don't know how you're changing or impacting someone's lives. And we don't do it to know that. But the gift for me that night was like, I got to see the loop close. Mm -hmm. And I think about him all the time. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait till he runs for city council. And Good I pray, I pray that I'll and be able to yes, fund his campaign. Yes, um, absolutely. But it really is. That's, that's the point is that being someone that be like, how much, how much can we give? How much, how much is enough? Right. I, I'm like you, I don't ever feel like there's enough we could possibly do to and heal. you can. Everybody can. Everybody always thinks it's finance, but it's not. Well, this is like my daughter's been in the industry for like 20 years and plus, uh, but in the music industry. Okay, so we used to go to hotels and, you know, that's where we stayed at some nice fancy hotels. So, you know, when you're getting your soap, your shampoo and conditioner and the toothbrush, I used to, I'm the queen of Ziploc bags, by the way. I used to take Ziploc bags, bring a box with me, and I would pack the brush, the toothbrush every day and put it in a Ziploc bag. And when I would see a homeless person, I would hand them that. You don't think, but toothpaste, it's a brush, it's shampoo, it's conditioner, just necessities of life. And I used to say to people, you, the, pl the place that you least expect, you can look around a room and if you don't use it and it's an excess because, oh, I brought my own shampoo, down, somebody else could use it. So I used to walk by, you could stick a little money in it and you could, if you want to, if not, you don't have any money, you don't have it. I had access to supplies that someone could use. And I've been doing this by the way, like 20 years I've been doing this. Sometimes if I knew I was gonna leave, I would speak to the housekeepers and be like, hey, do you have any extras? And be like, oh my God, yeah, sure. And that I would take them and just hand them. I used to walk through the parks and I've been doing this in front of my kids and my grandchildren for years. I used to take a backpack ever and I used to stick them all in there and I would walk by and sometimes I would just say, I hope this doesn't offend you. I'd always tell them that. I hope this doesn't offend you, but can I offer you this? And they'd be like, absolutely. I would take food from, by the way, when they have a free breakfast at the hotels. I used to zip back all the stuff <laughs> and take a little sandwich, a little something. I'd stick the little mayonnaise and ketchup on the side, zip it up, put them in my backpack. 
I will run into someone homeless and I would just hand them that. And people don't understand that that could change someone's life. Sometimes somebody will be like, oh my God, I haven't had toothpaste in forever. Thank you because I apply for jobs. And sometimes I don't feel well when I'm trying to find a job or trying to get into an apartment. And that right there offered them an opportunity. And even just a smile. I mean, Anthony told me he would count the amount of people he'd say Mm -hmm. hi to on the street and who would say hi back and who would smile. And he's like, when you're homeless, a smile can change your whole day. Absolutely. Acknowledgement. Yes. Acknowledgement. It changes everything. My six-year-old granddaughter loves to hug homeless people. She's constantly going, I'm like, oh, let me, let's go give them. No, he needs a hug. They need, she wants to hug everybody. She feels that hugging is, and we're like, sometimes we're like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Other times we're like, you know what? We'll wipe her down after that. She feels like she wants to do that. And I, um, one of the stories that I tell people affected me was I was, I think, in Norway or something. And I was I left the music studio and I went I like to explore and go to the cities. And I go, by the way, I can be in a mansion and I could turn around the next day, be in the hood. I don't care. I walk all over place and I always feel like I belong there. <laughs> and people are like you went there. It's not safe. I'm like, oh, whatever. God protect. And I and I walk around like I belong there. Like, don't hurt me. <laughs> You have no, the, the vibe where it's like you're very kind, yeah. but you also have the yes. don't, don't fuck like, with me no, vibe. New Jersey comes out of me. Yeah. And I saw this little old man in a bench and I sat down and I was eating and I offered him some food and he said, no, thank you. But he started talking and it started to drizzle a little and he starts to get up and he was having trouble struggling. And so I helped him get up and he was having trouble with his umbrella. I opened up his umbrella for him and I said, are you going far? He spoke very little English, but in like Norway, they start learning uh, English at a certain grade. And he said to me, oh, go over there. And I said, okay, let me help you cross the street. Do you care? I hold the umbrella. He said, no, absolutely. He started talking to me and he said to me, you know, you're the first person who's spoken to me in over six months. I said, what? He said, my wife died and I've been lonely and I sit here every day and I used to sit here with her and you're the first person who has spoken to me in six months. And I was like, I was heartbroken at the moment. And he said to me, he said, God bless you. He said, you touched me in a way of, because he goes, I feel uh, a value of Nancy. He goes, because I wasn't feeling that. And, you know, they say a lot of old uh, or couples, you know, especially they've been together many years. They usually the other couple dies within like five years. And, uh, and he felt, and I think a lot of that is loneliness. And I crossed I walked him and he just grabbed my hand and I almost felt like oh it was like now I know all those times when I would wave hi talk to the cashier my kids like mom talks to everybody but I I felt like oh wow a hello made a word of difference and this is in a foreign country I'm talking to this little older man that I I thought of him as like oh if it was my grandfather we want someone to help him cross this busy street and it was raining and once it started to rain and I walked him and he offered me the umbrella, said, no, thank you. It's OK. You keep it. You know, you need it. And I said to myself and then I kind of saw him a couple of days. And then, of course, I left the country and I was like, oh, wow, it just made a difference. A hello to this older gentleman. But specifically for men. So I'm reading this book now mm-hmm. about, you know, modern masculinity for the love of men by Liz Plank, for those of you that are curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting because they were saying that women's happiness and the reason they live longer is because they're used to having more of these emotional interactions. Mm-hmm. And because men are not uh, at, in our culture and society allowed to be more emotional or allowed, a lot of their friendships are actually quite surface. Mm-hmm. And so... The and not allowed to cry. Yeah. And like the <laughs> fact that his wife was his confidant and she mm-hmm. left was probably the person he connected with. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them do sit in loneliness, which is why they actually die yes. earlier than women. Yes. And it was this fascinating revelation. And so like for him, yeah, 100%, you've changed how he shows up because that one moment of interaction makes mm-hmm. him feel seen, acknowledged, and heard. And the more that we have those things where we feel like we're living in community, it's mm-hmm. actually better for our health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that. I love that story. It was, it, it, that one impacted me like forever and ever. I, he, I think of him. And at the moment, it wasn't meant like I had to stay his friend and hang out with him, but just that, I don't know, it might've changed enough where maybe he felt like, okay, I can live again or whatever. Or, but at least it, it affected me where I said to myself, Make sure you say hello to people. Make sure because he just told you that man told you that had been six months. And can you imagine in six months, no one had spoken to him. And he said, you just said hello to me. And I had no contact with any human for the last six months. And it doesn't take like, a lot. Wow. You know, and it just blew my mind that that loneliness could occur to anybody. And, you know, like. I will step out. I sometimes work all day long talking to people, talking to people, but I, you can still feel lonely because people are not asking you really, how are you? 
and then keeping their mouths shut and listening <laughs> and hearing you. Because you know what happens? We're so scared of complaining about our lives because someone's going to go, well, you know, this COVID out there, you know, you're not in a hospital. You're not this. OK, I get that. Absolutely. You're blessed that you're healthy, you know, that you haven't been impacted by it, especially if it's any relative, any children and your grandparents or whatever. But it doesn't mean that other things are not still happening. Divorces, or, you know, abuse or any of that, all the other things are happening. And people are still surfacing like the, the, the conversations like, how are you feeling? Are you safe? And they're still keeping it at the top and they're not going in deep enough to ask you what other things are going on in your life? Are you okay? Okay. You know, financially I think most people or don't want to, no. you know, it's scary to actually see someone truly and to, mm-hmm. and I, I find often, um, at least in my, my frame of reference, a lot of my friends go there with me, but with my siblings or other people, it's, it's something that I have to consistently be like, but are you really okay? Yes, exactly. What's going on? What do you need? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you can feel it. I can feel it energetically that you're struggling. I can see that you need help. I can see that. And, having struggled before in my life, I know what it's like to not feel seen. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to feel like you're drowning and you're like, I don't, and I'm and I'm asking for help and no one's really understanding. Because you're strong. Most, the strongest people are the ones that people ask the least of. People go for like the, well, you know, they're, they're going through it. They're going through it and they go for that. Not to say weak people or the no, weak no, chain. But they think they, you, they don't worry about you. Nope. Like, She'll figure it out. Thank you. She always does. Like I'm the problem solver for everybody. Same. And no one, <laughs> <laughs> but no one ever asked me. Sometimes I use the expression, I'm tired. And people don't, they can assume that means physically tired. no. I am tired. I've been carrying all this weight on my back and it affects me usually physically. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, oh, I got this pain here, this and that. And and it's really, it's just all my issues. Go to that one spot or that one ball that, you know, on your back or this and that, which, oh, you get a massage. Oh, go to your masseuse. Oh, go to your, you know, and, um, and, and, and just everybody has solution is like, go do this, go do that. And they don't, sometimes they just want someone to listen to me because like, I listen to you, everybody else. Physical manifestation yes. of, of uh, your body's talking to you, right? Yes. I, I, I feel that often where you're mm-hmm. like, because I think also when you're in such high stress environments mm-hmm. often and, you know, entertainment's a very high stress business, yes. even though it seems glamorous, but you're in this business and you just, and you, people don't realize that when you're in high stress situations, you learn to live with a moderate amount of stress. Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden it's like, you only realize that you're really under stress when it's extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the body's being like, all right, it's time to mm-hmm. take a break. Absolutely. And I have had my moments where, um, it's so funny. My daughter's always joking about like, my mom could always be found at Marshall's or Nordstrom Rack. And I'm like, I tell, it. <laughs> I tell my kids, it's a stress relief because I go in there, I'm by myself. It's a challenge of finding something and it's a distraction because everything is not in row. It's like that. Ooh, look at this find. Look at that. <laughs> I, sell, I tell people, I fill up my shopping cart and then right before I leave, I start putting things back. And I don't know if maybe that's part of my therapy. But <laughs> I love thrift shops. Again, thrift shops is the challenge of some, finding something amazing and feeling good about me. And it's only about me. Mm-hmm. And I find that you need to do whatever it is that's about you because it's always about us. It's always about the world and me again, you know, and, and you have to be careful if you don't find it about me because then it all ends up being about you the day that you're ill. And then you're in a hospital and it's the doctor coming to talk to you or a nurse and all this stuff, people coming to you with bad news about you because you let yourself go. So you need to focus. I find that I set my alarm clock half an hour from what I, and sometimes I doze off a little bit in between, but most of the time it's just so I could wake up and breathe. I, I've learned breathing techniques in the morning and I do it right before going to bed. And sometimes when I'm speaking to people, I find myself doing the deep in you know, uh, and, and I exhale double the amount of what I inhaled because it's pulling out more negativity than what the good that I bring in. You know, it's like mm, in with the good, out with the bad. But it, the bad has to be actually double the amount of what you brought in. So I've learned breathing. I've learned to uh, zone out. And the zoning out part comes with uh, uh, even just whatever zoning out and like 
that's not my problem. I have to let it go. You heard it, but it doesn't mean it's meant for you to fix it. Yep. You gotta, let, you gotta let, learn to let things go. There's certain battles you can choose, others you just gotta say, it's not for me today. Oh, it's not. And just Too like much. I said, and even as a listener uh, with people with their marriages or their relationship problems, whatever, sometimes people just wanna speak. Like I said, I'll, I'll repeat it back to them. They don't really want you to resolve. They just want someone to speak to and you have to not take on their problems because, and be careful what advice you give to people because you know what you would do, but it's from the outside and that person's experiencing it and they got to walk their, their walk and figure it out when it's the right time. And we all know when the right time for us, it would be like, it's now, get out now, but, or don't do this, but you have to always tell people when it's right for you because everything does have to be right for you. But you definitely have to center yourself a little bit. Uh, uh, Everyone so go for walks. And I tell people, my kids laugh and say, mom and, you know, uh, mom talks to herself, you know, they'll be like, my daughter, especially Liz, she'll walk and it's like, are you two done with your conversation? Which (laughs) I'm like, no, the three of us, me, myself, and I are done with the conversation. I find that I sometimes have to speak out loud. Mm -hmm. And even if I'm in the room by myself, and it helps because hearing it, even if from my mouth, <laughs> it's some people say, don't be careful. Once it comes out of your mouth, you're manifesting it. No, it's just that sometimes I just need to hear it to go, oh, man, when I just heard it, it doesn't sound right. If I, if I were to say that, I might regret it. So I'm glad that I spoke to myself about it, you know, and I said to myself and, and I say that's part of it. And if it's talking a lot and I look crazy, I don't care. It's part of me right now that it just my therapy. How you process. How I process. So exactly. I want to ask you one more question before we go mm-hmm. into the rapid fire section. But back to you sleeping on the floor. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there was multiple moments where you thought you were going to lose it. Yes. I cried many times. Um, I went to the bath. You know, I took baths at nighttime with the candles and cried. And then I had moments where I was like, I just, it happened, the process happened. And then I started walking in the exercise because I felt like, I think it's like if I kept moving and that's what it is, I couldn't let anything stay still. The still for me kept me, kept it in my head too much because I'm one of those people who just doesn't stop thinking. For God's sakes, I had one time they they did an MRI or whatever in my brain and they, they were like, wow, you have activity all the time going on. And it's like, we were watching you. We were like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, even when I'm asleep, I talk in my sleep because obviously, you know, too much thoughts going through my head. Uh, but I was, I, I, I cried and I found myself that through my journey that if I, um, stopped way too still during that during a, a slow or sad time that it it, it, it completely uh, overtook you know it, it just it overwhelms me so I found that my happy medium would be um, just keep act- activity always going on even if it's a crafting uh, you know reading learning uh, asking advice talking to someone for me personally and during that time I yes I was very sad I uh, and it's I had many times in, throughout my life you know that one just impacted me the most it was a divorce single mom out in California by myself my mom had just died of, of cancer the year before that it was it fell hard in that time and but I got through it and in everything eventually you know it does fade away the pain does start to fade um you know i tell people i i just like everybody else when people go well you don't understand i suffer from depression i said so do i every single day and i think everybody does as everybody battles with some form of depression and and i said and it's just finding balance for me and but during that time i thought i would give up and quit but then my daughters would always remind me I, by the way, I had 10 days that I think I slept on the floor crying. I would be in the car crying. I just couldn't stop crying. And I think the walking did it for me. Like I said, I stood up one day and I saw that everything was still happening outside and I was still there. And I said, oh man, this is, I guess it's like kind of like death. Uh, You're, you stop, but everybody else in the world keeps going. So that's why I said to myself, made the decision of, okay, go for four four block walks. And next minute it was like, you know, six miles and 13 miles. It just, it just kept going. And, and then I would go home, you know, take care of the kids and do everything for them. But I found time for myself. And that's what I'm saying. The focus became like, in order for me to help others, I need to help myself first. You can't pour from an empty cup. Cannot pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. Oh, um, you're really so welcome. Beautiful and inspiring. Oh, um, okay. Thank you. Because sometimes I just say, 
Oh, I'm just talking. <laughs> no, <laughs> just talk no. Talk. <laughs> a lot of stuff there. I feel like every time I leave a session, I'm processing the conversations mm-hmm. in real time. Mm-hmm. And then like two days, I have this like revelation about something in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a oh, lot like, to glean. I do it with you too. You're amazing. <laughs> I said two, you and I meet up like what, two, three times a year. And yeah. it's just like for coffee, it's quick. And it's nothing. We talked what we're going through or whatever. And it's just, I like that. I love that. It's like I tell people you don't, have to have people in your life every single day, but when I see them, it should be guilt-free. And it no should, time's passed. No, and you know, and whatever you bring at the moment, it's just it's the, it's for a purpose. Whatever conversation you and I have for each other, I'm gonna walk away feeling great about it and loving you even more. Thank you. And happier and happier each time for you and congratulating you on what you're doing here. And I know it's 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 going to influence and and help somebody out. So. God bless. And we both speak very fast. So we get a lot in yes. in a short amount of time. Yes, and we're like, bye, <laughs> and hugging a kiss and keep it moving. Um, okay, here we go. Rapid fire. Mm-hmm. First thing that comes to your mind, no wrong answer. Okay. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Things are going to be okay. What's the last book you read? Don't remember, but uh, The Alchemist is my favorite. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. What are you struggling with right now? Um, transition. Just I'm struggling with... Uh, uh, having to transition from uh, things that have changed, especially during COVID and transition right now. But I, I, know, I know I'm going to do it. It's going to be okay. But uh, the transition has not, not been easy for everybody, myself or anybody. Never is. Never is. What is bringing you joy right now? Uh, family and love, like always. That's, that's the one thing that's always steady in my life is love, God, children, you know, family. That's always been steady. Yeah, it's your, it's definitely number one for you. And you <laughs> feel that in how you show up and you've built such a beautiful, your whole family is so loving and together. So um, you guys can witness that on their TV show or you can witness that just in how they show Instagram, up on social media. However. <laughs> yeah, they, People we meet in the street, everybody they are always. They a beautiful, beautiful unit and show up for each other. What's the best advice you've ever received? Believe it or not, I, I say to people, I guess the message that God has given to me, which is um, just I feel like I, I've never been abandoned. And even though I thought I have, it's like I'm here for you. And I always feel that I feel that from like God. And I think I receive it through other people. And um, and just I think people or I think I give it. But I think somebody might have said the words, uh, keep it moving. And which is what I was saying earlier. And I think somebody said it or it's just whatever you do, just keep it moving. And that in which is, like I said, not leaving, uh, not staying still. And I think because of somebody saying that out loud, I picked it up and I just it's part of me all the time. It's just to keep it moving. So we're going to give you the takeaways from Carmen Million. The first one is to educate yourself. The more that you know, the more that you can advocate for yourself. And if you arm yourself with that intelligence, you can make better deals and you can be really prepared when opportunity arrives and make less mistakes. Balance between your work life, your social life and your family life is really, really important. You have one mouth and two ears for a reason. I love that one. We're here to listen. We're here to make people feel seen and heard. And by truly, truly listening, we learn things for ourselves along the way. Do not underestimate the small pieces of impact we can make. It doesn't take a lot, a smile. You have things in your home that you can probably give to people. Carmen's version is the hotel Ziploc baggie, which I love. Um, And it really makes a difference. A small gesture can go a very, very long way kindness is incredibly important, especially right now. And don't forget to breathe and take a walk because when you're taking care of you, you can better take care of those around you. Thank you so much for doing this. I can't thank you enough. I love you. I love you. Thank you all for listening. You can continue to listen and subscribe to Do The Work on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. It makes a huge difference if you can review, if you can share and rate this podcast. Thank you so much to Entertainment Speakers Bureau, to Angela, to Nichelle, to David, to Matt, to Smart Post Sound, Lenny for that musical intro, Lindsay for the graphics. I am forever in gratitude. I hope you all find and continue to live in your purpose.